0: We are studying in the month of December a new theme, God with us. The theological term for that is the incarnation. You have your Bibles turned to the book of Matthew chapter 1. All the scriptures will be on the screens as well. So what is the incarnation? The incarnation is a unique doctrine to Christianity, unlike that of any other major world religion. The doctrine of the Incarnation is that God the Son became a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. God became a man in order to redeem sinful humanity from our sin. On Saturdays in the fall, in our hearts and in our minds, many of us practice Football incarnation. We put on clothing with our team's logo and we transform into super fans on game day. And on Saturdays, I am no different. For the really big games, I will put on my team's logo with pride. And if you've not been around here for four and a half years, my team is the Alabama Crimson Tide. And my wife said, Cade, wearing that tie, you're asking for it this morning. I said, I'm here to wear this tie because this belonged to my grandfather who's with Jesus. And he was a big Alabama fan. And that's a big reason why I am. So, uh, so we wear our team's logo with pride. We, we become glued to the television for at least three hours, sometimes close to four And then I become like one of the referees or one of the coaches by calling into question all their decisions. I become like one of the players screaming at them through the television, go, go, run. Or asking them questions like, how could you drop that pass, my poor, sweet wife has had to endure this about me for 20 years. So yesterday we were invited to a neighborhood friend's home for an iron bowl party. And look, <clears throat> I don't go to other people's houses to watch college football. I stay in my house, in my seat, so I can do my thing, right? So I can incarnate into uh the Crimson Tide super fan that I am. And so here I am at another house, dear friends, but my son Carson, who's 13, and myself, we're the only Bama fans there. And we are surrounded by Auburn folk. And I'm having to restrain everything in me to just be careful that I don't represent you as a church poorly to my neighbors, I even said after, after half at halftime, I said, look, they got that extra second. They kicked that field goal. If Auburn beats Alabama by three points, I'm going to preach in my sermon. I'm going to lament, and I'm going to cry. Well, I'm lamenting, I suppose, but there are no tears, just heartache, just heartache. Because we incarnate, we become so invested into this thing, this phenomenon known as college football. Look with me now in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, as we look at Matthew's account of the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, much more succinct than Luke's account. Starting in verse 18, I'm not going to do a full exposition of these verses. I'm just going to pull out one verse and then we'll kind of look at the implications of. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As we read the Bible, from the very beginning, we come in contact with multiple names of God. These names of God reveal to us Who God is, his character. As God will reveal himself to different individuals in the Bible, he'll often be given a new name. We see the same thing in the the New Testament here in Matthew 1. We're given the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of the chapter, and then we're given the very name that Mary and Joseph are to name their son. They're given his name, Jesus. And then we're given another name. The name Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. i am entitled this message, Emmanuel, God with us. It's really good news that our God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. For those of us football fans who are feeling depressed this morning, it's good to know that God is with us. As wonderful as it was to celebrate Thanksgiving with our family last week, With Thanksgiving and then Christmas to follow, just weeks later, we are readily reminded that our loved ones who've gone to be with Jesus aren't here anymore to celebrate with us. In light of that, though, it brings us great comfort to know that God is with us even in the midst of our grief, giving us strength and comforting us. Amen? God is with us. Oh, church, be encouraged today that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is named Emmanuel. He is God with us. Let's consider now some significance of this question. What is the significance of Emmanuel, God with us? Three truths. If you have your bulletin inside of it is a sermon insert that has my outline, it has all the references, it has the main passage and it has my points for the message. Number one Emmanuel means that Satan and death are rendered powerless Satan and death are rendered powerless because of Emmanuel now I'm going to be looking all over the New Testament this morning gonna be hard to follow along if you've got your Bible, we've got technology, if it doesn't fail us. Uh, I was talking to Ricky before the service. Ricky runs our our projection in the early service and Ricky said that the system's crashed three times before the service started. So hopefully it will work with us. I said let's lay hands on that computer that it might work. All the scriptures will be there on the screens. Hebrews 2, 14-15 the writer says this, since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity. That's Jesus. Jesus shared In their humanity. That's the incarnation. Do you see that? So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Because Jesus is God with us. He has broken the power of death and Satan. Look at 1 John 3 8. John writes, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared that's the incarnation. Jesus appeared, He came among us. The reason He appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. In his commentary on the book of Hebrews, Raymond Brown tells a personal story to illustrate the power of Jesus over Satan. He said in his early 20s, he used to be a postman. And he said, one day I had to deliver a letter to a house I had never visited before. He said, I opened up the garden gate only to discover... That they had a dog, and it was a big dog, and it was a vicious dog, and it was running right at me, ready to pounce. Only, he said, I realized, standing there helpless and terrified, to my immense relief, he said, I saw that massive, angry dog was chained to a huge stake there that was anchored in the concrete, And that chain was long, and that dog could go all over the yard, but he could not reach me there on that sidewalk. He said, I saw that I could easily deliver the letter and did so. And then he writes that this incident became like a parable to me. He said, as a matter of fact, whenever I had to visit that house to deliver mail, he said, I took little notice of that aggressive dog. He said, I always kept my eyes on that strong stake in the ground. Then he writes, at the cross, the enemy of souls, the devil, was made impotent, limited, and chained down. Now this is good. It's not good, it's bad, but it's true about us. When he has bitten us, it is usually because we've been far too near. Hmm. Far too near. Satan is powerless. And nothing will happen to us outside of the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the providence of God. He had, Satan had to go through God before he could get to Job. Our God has defeated, made Satan powerless. If I'm given the opportunity at any funeral graveside, I will read from these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. 55 through 57, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, is the chapter of resurrection. The Bible says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory has come because God is with us. He lived, He bled, He died on a cross, and He rose from the dead to give us victory over death. Over sin, over Satan. Last scripture verses for this first point 2 Timothy 1 9 and 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose. And grace, and this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. There's the incarnation. Christ has appeared, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see the gospel of Jesus Christ, is no gospel without the incarnation. There is no good news without Jesus becoming a human being. And when Jesus becomes a man, and the gospel is in flesh, the body of Jesus Christ on the earth, the Son of God walking among us, all of a sudden the lights come on. In him was life, and he was the light of all men, John 1 said. It leads us right to our next truth about Emmanuel. First, it means that Satan is rendered powerless as well as death. But secondly, Emmanuel means that our sin is atoned for. Our sin, all of our sins are atoned for. Now, atonement, that's one of those long church words that we don't use in our everyday conversation. Rather than me try to define it for you, let's allow the Scriptures to do that for us. Look, we've been now Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Oh, the great chapter of the Bible, Romans 8. No condemnation for us in Christ. A great chapter about the Spirit of God, about the love of God in Christ, that nothing can separate us from His love. Look at verse 3. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So Christ Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was incarnated. He came to the earth as a man, as a sin offering. So atonement has something to do with offering. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. We saw a minute ago from verses 14 and 15. Look now at verse 17, Hebrews 2. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. That means he was fully human in every way. Why? So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. If you know the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of talk in that book about the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. So clearly here, Jesus is incarnated. He's become just like us in every way. That he then might be a high priest, the priest would stand before God and present to God offerings, sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel that God might atone their sins, that God's wrath might be deterred by the offering of the innocent sacrifice. That's atonement. And Jesus has become our high priest, merciful. And faithful that he is. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared. A very common word used in the New Testament to describe the coming of Jesus, his incarnation. He appeared. Why? In order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Hear very carefully. The Holy Spirit inspires John to emphasize, though Paul wrote that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, John here makes it crystal clear that in Jesus there is no sin. He was sinless. That's how he's different than us. He's fully human in every way, yet he is without sin. And he appeared, why? To take away sins, to forgive sins, to remit sins, to remove sins by his atoning sacrifice. Galatians 3 describes it even better of how Jesus did this. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. That means he purchased us back He paid the price for us. How? From the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became cursed upon that cross for you and me. He took our curse. He took our sin. It should have been us on the cross. He stood there on our behalf to make an atoning sacrifice for us. And he redeemed us from the curse that belonged to us. That's what incarnation means. That's how he conquered the devil. That's how he finished everything on the cross. There was a boy who was consistently late coming home from school. His parents warned him one day that he must be home on time that afternoon, that morning. They charged him to be on time that day, but nevertheless... That rebellious little boy arrived later than ever. Well, his mother met him at the door and said nothing to him. He walked in. It came time for dinner. He came to the table and there on his plate all he had was a single slice of bread and a glass of water. He looked up and saw his father's plate full of meat and vegetables and delicious-looking food. And then he looked up at his father's face, and his father looked at him and said nothing. Waiting in that moment for the full impact of that moment to settle in for his son, then the father took his plate full of food and put his plate there in front of his son, and he took his son's plate of bread and water and exchanged it. And there the father then looked at his son and he smiled. That boy grew to be a man and he said this, All my life I've known what God is like by what my father did that night. You see, he took the punishment. He took the blame. He took the weight of the sin and the consequence that the Son deserved, the Father took it for him, and Jesus took our place. Second Corinthians 5, 21, no verse says it more powerfully. God made him. Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just that our sin is taken away. It's that you and I are made the very righteousness of God. The beauty of the gospel is not just forgiveness. It's that when God looks at you and when God looks at me through what Jesus did for us on the cross, that God sees his son's righteousness in your heart, in my heart, in your mind, and in my mind, in your actions, and in my actions. He sees Jesus. Emmanuel means our sins are atoned for. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God, and one mediator between God and humanity. Don't miss this. Who is it? The man, Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. It's the man, Christ Jesus. It is the incarnate Son of God. It's God with us, the human being, Jesus, the God-man, who is our mediator. Three and lastly. Just to recap, Emmanuel means, first, that Satan and death are rendered powerless. Secondly, Emmanuel means our sins are atoned for. And lastly, Emmanuel means that God is with us now and always by living in us. When we come to the end of the book of Matthew, we started at the beginning of Matthew, come to the end of the book, and that Great Commission section of verses as Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples what does he say he gives that great commission he says and behold in Matthew 28 the first second half of that verse and behold I am with you always to the end of the age Jesus tells his disciples and us I will be with you always I'm always going to be there with you. I am God with you. I am Emmanuel. I'm always going to be there with you. I'm going to keep wearing these shoes because they're my grandfather's shoes. They may have holes in them in a few years, but I'm going to keep wearing them because this reminds me, my papa wore these part of him still with me. I'm going to keep wearing this tie. Whether we lose to Auburn again next year or not, I'm going to keep wearing it. it's my papa's tie. I think about him. And even there around that Thanksgiving table. He's there. I, just, I know he's with Jesus, but the memories of him are there. His presence is there. His influence is there. We, we live through those memories, don't we? We remember that loved one. We think about him. Even getting out the ornaments yesterday. <laughs> Here's a picture of little baby Lauren being held by these big, strong hands of my grandfather when she was just a baby. His presence, you know, we remember, we hang on to those loved ones, don't we? How much more with Jesus is he going to be with us? I I, I saw this firsthand. I'm coming back Monday. I I preached my grandfather's funeral. Never done that before. Hard to do and, and finished up that service and was coming back. Monday we're all exhausted, and everybody's sleeping in the car, except for me I'm driving and and I you know you can't can't mess with your phone while you're driving and so yeah I heard it ring, I heard it heard it something ding, I look down and I see a, a message, and then I realize as I'm traveling getting gasoline and stuff, I'm realizing that oh my goodness uh, jim thompson is and I see you and not doing well and and the pastor and me wanted to be there at his side, wanted to be there with Mark and the granddaughters and the family, and I couldn't be there. And and then I get home, and I read my text messages, and we've got a text thread, all of our ministerial staff. And, and oh, I get these texts saying, oh, you should have seen it. We walked in, uh, Tom or Anthony, one of them walked into the hospital, and here's... 20, 30 members from the Richard Shiver Sunday School class that are there with Jim, there with his family. The very body of Christ, the presence of Christ is there incarnated with Jim to the very end of his life. That's the church. That's what gift of love is about, that we are to be Jesus incarnate, that we are to live out the love of Jesus to those around us. That touched my heart. Made my heart swell with pride, not for anything that I have done, but for the great church that you are and the love you have for your people, your own. How much more does God love us through Christ? Galatians 2.20, this is a life verse for me. The first half of it was my quote in my high school senior year in my yearbook. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Christ. Who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus says I will not just be with you. Paul here says that Christ lives in us. How? Turn to John's gospel. We'll conclude here. John's gospel. How could Christ Jesus be in us. How could God come in the person of Jesus Christ and then Jesus leave his disciples and he tells them this and they're heartbroken. That's why he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house or many rooms. He says that in John 14.1. You keep reading in John 14, you come to these words. This is how Christ can be in us. How Emmanuel can be in us forever. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In you. Union with Christ. Jesus says, I will never leave you as an orphan. Though I will leave, I'm not really gonna leave you. I'm gonna give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus, in his incarnation, when he walked on the earth, was limited, in essence, by his human body In his location. He's fully God, fully man. He is holding all the world together in his divinity, in his godhood. Yet the man, Jesus Christ, was there physically and impacted about 500 followers, the Bible says. But now... There are millions, and over the course of human history, billions of people who know Jesus, and He knows them, and He lives in hearts through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. You can know, church. You can know. You can know, church, that God is with you. Jesus is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has defeated Satan. Satan is staked to that concrete pole like that dog. And he can't touch you. But don't go near him, all right? Know this, church, that your sins are atoned for. Jesus paid it all. Just last night having a conversation with my kids, kids fight sometimes, they argue sometimes, and I'm saying, aren't you glad that God doesn't hold your sins against you? Like, yeah, Dad, well, don't hold your sins against each other, don't hold it, forgive, forgive, let it go. It's paid for through Jesus. And lastly, church, know this, God is with us through the person of Jesus Christ by the gift of His Holy Spirit. There could not be the sending of the Holy Spirit, no Pentecost, no spiritual gifts without God the Son coming in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus leaving then to send His Spirit and pour out His Spirit upon all people. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that's why we go. That's why we give to Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. That's why we pray for our one and invite our one to Christmas activities where they'll hear the gospel. It's because Jesus commands us because the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in every heart and every mind. Oh, that the world would know that they're not alone. That there's someone who hears their cries. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I pray now that you would take your word and impress it upon the hearts of every person who's hearing this message both in person and later on through the television ministry. In God, that you might strengthen lives, that you might speak life and truth and hope and redemption and freedom and power over sin, over death, over Satan, through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no better news than the good news of Jesus. Let us now surrender our all to him. For we owe him everything and we could never pay him back. Oh, the debt of love we owe to Jesus. We could never pay Him back for what He's done for us. Let us just yield ourselves and follow Him and love Him and reflect Him and be the presence and the fragrance of Christ in this world. Let us just love and incarnate in that we're living out the gospel and how we love other people. Let us love and be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, call us to obedience. For who's your one? For gift of love and so many other opportunities we have every day to tell others about Jesus, to show others the love of Jesus. God, I pray now that you be glorified as we respond to this message. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.